0: You can turn to Ephesians chapter 5, it's verse 20 we're going to be looking at this morning, let's read from verse 18, Ephesians 5 from verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now here's our verse for this morning. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Surely, One of the most misunderstood biblical teachings in our day is that of what it means to be filled by the Spirit. Of course, it's not simply misunderstood. It is intensely controversial to so many people. It's associated with the spectacular For the individual Christian, it's related to the claim to speak in these tongues. For the man of God, like the preacher, the one who they say is anointed, well, they're able to heal just at a prayer, at a command. They can give a prophetic word They can make people to fall down, to be slain in the spirit. Those are the things that you see. You you know they're there. We have one in Kenya who's called the mightiest prophet of the Lord. It's even blasphemous, where uh, recently he had a crusade where he said, upon my word, you're going to enter heaven. But that's the sort of thing that we have uh, uh, these days. And we've got to understand what the Holy Spirit does because here in Ephesians 5 we have the one command in the Bible to be filled by the Spirit. And then verses 19, 20 and 21 give the results that follow the evidence of the reality of being filled By the Spirit. And there are three of them we dealt last week with singing. And today it's thankfulness. In other words, my friends, the Spirit doesn't come to dazzle us with His power, the Spirit comes to glorify Christ. And He does that. By convicting us of our sins and bringing us to Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And then he transforms us into the image of Christ. It's such a powerful work. You see, it is powerful, but not in the way people think. It's called a resurrection to new life, because it's a spiritual one. It's called a new creation. And I want to say to you that this being filled by the Spirit is not for certain Christians, special Christians. This is the normal state of every Christian life. Here's a man who used to sing lewd songs in his drunkenness, but now he sings to the Lord with all his heart, is a woman who used to curse, complain and find fault. That's what you expected to hear on the lip. But now she's full of Thanksgiving. That's the mighty work of the Holy Spirit. Education can't do that, certainly not our education culture can't do it. Laws on the statute books of the land can't do it. Only the Holy Spirit can do it and he does do it and he's done it in many of our lives here. Praise the Lord. So how desperate is our need to be sure that we are filled by the Spirit. I've got two very Simple things to you this morning. What do we like before being filled by the Spirit? Then the second one is, what do we like after we are filled by the Spirit? Uh, the first one's not found in our text, but of course it is the implied contrast. If Being filled by the Spirit means that we are people of thanksgiving. We were not that before uh, we became filled by the Spirit. We were grumblers, murmurers. And I want to say then that grumbling is a characteristic of the old life and it remains a temptation to us as Christians, doesn't it? It's such a serious thing not to be a thankful person that the generation that came out of Egypt, those couple of million, they all perished in the wilderness, except two of them. And what was their main fault? They murmured, didn't they? They grumbled. Numbers, let me read. So, you're convinced maybe some of you don't know this. Numbers chapter 14. See what they did? Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. Why did they do that? Why were they weeping? Well, 12 spies had gone into the land of Canaan. Yes, they had found that the land was filled with milk and honey, but they found something else as well. They found that the people were many and they were giants. They found that their cities were were walled, impregnable. And 10 of them said, we can't do it. Verse 2, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. In verse 26, we've got the Lord's response. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron saying, how long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me, say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. And of all your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upwards who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land which I swore that I would make you to dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. And so it goes on. They forgot what Egypt was like. They forgot it was the land of slavery. They forgot God's redeeming hand, the ten plagues, and the journey through the Red Sea. And their grumbling led to rebellion against God. They grumbled at Mara because the water was bitter. They grumbled when they got hungry in the wilderness and there was no food. They grumbled at Rephidim when there was no water. They grumbled because Aaron was the priest. Some of them thought, we should be priests along with him. And then they grumbled when God judged the grumblers. They were a grumbling, murmuring, discontented people. They were dissatisfied with God's providences because often God's providences are not pleasant, are they? There are difficulties along the way. There's grumbling because of the leaders God appointed. And grumbling because God deals harshly with those who show no faith. In the New Testament, the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled because Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. Luke 15, 2 and 19, 7. Jesus told a story of workers in the vineyard who grumbled because although they got the denarius, they were promised at the beginning of the day, the master gave the same wage, the denarius, to those who only worked the last hour. And they grumbled. They said, it's not fair. The Greeks grumbled because their widows were being neglected. Grumbling is there. There are records of it in the scriptures. The kindness being shown to the undeserving, the tax collectors and sinners, the people who've just come, although they've been waiting the whole day, they've only been employed for an hour. Others don't appreciate the kindness shown to them. The unfairness in administration. It's the complaining spirit that is wrong it's not wrong to address the issue of justice it wasn't wrong for uh, it to be brought to the apostles that widows were being neglected but it was the complaining spirit that was wrong philippians 2:14 do all things without murmuring or questioning 1 peter nine, show hospitality without grumbling It's quite a pervasive theme in the Bible, isn't it? How easy it is to be a person who always finds something wrong. There is lots of wrong there. But that's not the way I'm to be or you are to be as a Christian. So secondly then, and obviously this is our major thing uh, this morning, the result of being filled by the Spirit is that we will be people of thanksgiving. Of course, we show thankfulness primarily with our lips. And it tells us that when the Holy Spirit comes into our life and uh, fills us, then he brings a transformation to every part of our lives and especially to our speaking i don't think we pay enough attention to that when i was a young christian i read through proverbs and i was struck by how often the tongue the mouth the lips were mentioned and i found that one out of every 3 verses what 33% of the proverbs 31 chapters have to do in some way with speaking how important it is Uh, Ephesians 4 25 says therefore having put away falsehood let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor verse 29 chapter 4 let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion chapter 5 verse 4 let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place but instead, let there be, chapter 5, verse 4 of Ephesians, let there be thanksgiving. There it is again. Again and again uh, in this letter to the Ephesian church, speech and now thanksgiving. In the place of grumbling and murmuring and complaining, that is discontented speech. The Christian is to be characterized by the giving of thanks. And there are four very simple things in verse 20 that uh, speak of this genuine thanksgiving. First of all, it's always. Giving thanks always. Just as Paul, when he wrote his letters, he says, I'm always giving thanks to God for you. The whole of our lives, always. Daily, always. Whenever we pray, always. Thanksgiving ought to have a part. It doesn't even depend upon new mercies, although they are there every morning, aren't they? If you developed such a physical condition that you needed a life-saving operation and you had it and it was successful, I think you would feel forever indebted to the surgeon, the the medical team, wouldn't you? Would you say, well, after a year, I think I need another life-saving operation in order to be thankful? No, you had one. And to forget it would be unkind. My friends, if you're a Christian, you have been saved from something far more serious than physical death. You've been saved from eternal death, from hell, from outer darkness. And that remains true. And it was Jesus Christ who gave himself for you, who sacrificed himself and went through the awful suffering of the cross. How can we ever forget that as a Christian? How can we ever fail to be thankful? And we need to look at our lives. Are we thankful? Are you thankful for Christ and what he's done for you? If not, if it's not a pattern of your life, could it be that you've never experienced the life-changing salvation of Jesus Christ? Because if you have, surely you will be thankful. Then the second thing we see about the thanks, is not only always, but it's for everything. This is big, isn't it? Always, for everything. And I refer to other passages because we need to see that this is not just one passage. First Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It couldn't be put more strongly, could it? We're to give thanks for food as God's provision, 1 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. Paul gave thanks for his safe arrival in Rome, Acts 28, verse 15. There was one of the ten lepers, a Samaritan, only one who returned to thank the Lord Jesus for his healing and he's commended, Luke 17, verse 16. Paul thanks God for Christians in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16. You see, whatever takes place, whatever we have, we recognize it's from God. And we thank him for it. As a Christian, you have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Ephesians 1 Verses 3 to 14. And the opposite of that is so much evil withheld that we deserve. God has poured out blessings on others. Sometimes we find that a bit difficult, don't we? Especially if we're not having the same blessing that they are. He's saving others. He's keeping others. He's using others. God has given us such wonderful promises that we should be thankful for just an example hebrews 13 verse 5 i will never fail you or forsake you as the song has it count your blessings name them one by one and it will surprise you what the lord has done further Thanksgiving can be squeezed out of the trials of life. Sometimes only when you crush something that you get the scent. All things work together for good, don't they? You believe that? that's true, then there's something to be thankful for in every circumstance of life. That's what 1 Thessalonians 5.18 said. Give thanks in all circumstances. Not only the good ones as we call them, but even the evil ones as Job called them. Where was Paul writing this from, do you know? I don't mean the city. What condition was he in when he's telling the Ephesians, give thanks? Paul is in. A Roman prison. And you can be sure that Roman prisons were not as luxurious as uh, our prisons uh, today. Why was he in prison? Injustice. False accusation. He was facing death. He'd been let down by others. Suffering. He's in poverty, and yet, he says, give thanks. Because when we go through the difficulties, the trials of life, it shows our sinfulness, doesn't it? And so we should learn to hate sin more. Thank God when that happens. Thank God when I'm humbled and I see that I'm not in control of my life. But God is. Trials make me long for glory. Oh, I can thank God for that. Just read Romans 3, 3 to 5, and see why Paul rejoices, not only in the inheritance he has, but even in the trials that he faces. Romans 5, 3 to 5. Many of us, perhaps... But many a grown-up person has returned to their more aged parents and said, Mum and Dad, I just want you to know that as rebellious as I was as a child, I'm now thankful for what you did when you brought me up. Thank you for the discipline. So instead of finding fault with God's ways, because when we grumble... You know what we're saying, aren't you? Say, God, if it were me, I wouldn't have done it the way you've done it. Instead of finding fault, we need to acknowledge that our God is infinitely wise and he's doing the best for me in order to bring me to glory, to be with himself. So it's for everything. Then the third thing you notice there in verse 20, the thanksgiving is to God the Father. Note that specifically, please. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. God as our loving heavenly Father is the one to be thanked. He's the source. There's nothing in me. If God had marked my iniquity, I couldn't have stood, the psalmist says. If God had remembered my sins, I would be under judgment. I'm totally unworthy. So anything and everything I've received is from my Father. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins, nor pay us according to our iniquities, Psalm 103, verse 10. He's given us unnumbered blessings, eternal blessings. Fathers give everything they think is good, don't you? You don't withhold something good from your children. No, your children might not think it's good or the best, but that is the way we are as uh, fathers. We will protect our children with our very lives. That's what our Father does. In fact, our Heavenly Father gave His own Son to save us. So God is not just the Creator to whom you're responsible or the Judge to whom you'll have to give an account. If you're a Christian, God is your Father. And he's acted like that to you. And you've got so much to thank him for. Now, how is that possible? How is it that God acts to us as a father? Well, here's the fourth thing. Again, in verse 20. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. May I just point to you again the Trinitarian nature of our faith? being filled by the Spirit (coughs) to give thanks to the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the mediator of all the blessings that we have as Christians. And those words, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, they're not words that we should simply say a habit. There is a danger, isn't there? We pray in the name of Christ, amen. But why do we pray that? We pray it because we recognize that we have nothing without Christ. Nothing except through Christ. Nothing, absolutely nothing in terms of spiritual blessings. It's Christ who buys blood has cleansed you from all your sin. Even the, the stains of deepest dye. He's washed them white as snow. Christ has reconciled you to God, hasn't he? What a blessing. Christ, Christ has sent you the Spirit. That's the way the Bible puts it. He sent the Spirit into your hearts to cry, Abba, Father, so that you can relate to God as your Father. He's given you the spirit to prepare you and to fit you for glory. All those things you have through Christ. How precious is that name, the Lord Jesus Christ, to us as Christians. It talks about the name of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Maybe you younger ones here, you don't understand the significance of the name, because to us a name is just an appellation, isn't it? I'm Keith Underhill. And if someone stood at the door and said, Keith, I'm not sure, but I think I'm the only one who would, re- who would respond. It marks me out. It doesn't tell you anything about me, though, does it? Only that that's the name that I was given. But in the Bible, name is very significant. Actually, in Africa, names are significant. Uh, If you're born in the morning, then you have a certain name. If you're born when it's raining, then you have a certain name. And it goes on like that. And so you can tell something about at least the circumstances of the birth by the name. In the Bible... Name means the person as they are revealed and here as they are revealed in the scriptures. To talk about the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you put in all the content of Lord, Master, Jesus, Saviour, Christ, Messiah. That's who he is. That's his name. He's the one who loved us before the world began. He's the one who, as eternal God, he became man for our sakes. He's the one who humbled himself even to the death upon the cross for us. He's the one who rose from the dead on the third day and ascended and is now seated on the throne at the right hand of God, interceding for us. And he's the one who's returning. One day in glory. We owe absolutely everything to him, don't we? Be conscious of that as you thank God. Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think this is a very good test of whether you are a real Christian or not. This is what I mean. Many people talk about God. God this, God that, God the other. Thank God. But Christ has got nothing to do with it. Unless as an expletive, Jesus Christ, not, it's not spoken of in terms of thanksgiving. And that's the peculiar mark of a Christian. We thank God through our Lord Jesus because we believe upon him. He is everything to us by what he did for us. Let me finish with some practical suggestions to you. Brethren, I've got to include myself, but let us learn to be more thankful as Christians. Thank God before you eat and drink, when you're alone, in your family, when you're in the restaurant, when you're with unbelievers, why should it make a difference? Thank God. You have the instruction in First Timothy chapter 4. After all, as much as we go to the supermarket and we have, many of us, our monthly pay packages, actually all those things depend upon God, don't they? The sort of mini drought uh, that we had, because we don't know anything about droughts here, the mini drought, it made you realize, didn't it? The grass didn't grow. Uh, How much have you had to mow? If That carried on. And if there was no irrigation, where would the food come from? We do depend upon him for rain, sunshine, and so on. When somebody visits you, Why not start the visit with thanksgiving to God, just as Paul did when he got to Rome? The uh, Luo people in Kenya have a wonderful uh, custom, at least those are Christians. You go into the the hut, and it's pretty dark because uh, there are no windows. But you don't sit down. You all stand. You go in first, and then the... uh, The mother and the father come in. They're all standing. And then thanksgiving is made to God for your coming. When you pray for somebody, thank God for them. That's what Paul does all the time in his prayers. When you are troubled, when you are anxious and you pray to God about it, listen to how Paul puts it in Philippians 4 and verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with, what do you think? With thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. That's apostolic command. Us. there's always something to be thankful for. <clears throat> when we meet for prayer, let's not only give requests, let's thank God for answered prayer. Let's thank God in the midst of difficult situations, that there are things to thank him for. So what we're learning is this, that if we're filled by the Spirit, then the Spirit, among other things... He teaches us to be a thankful people and he shows us how to do it. I read to you earlier from Colossians chapter 3. In fact, in the English Standard Version, you have thanksgiving three times. Verse 15, verse 16, and verse 17. Christians are preeminently a thankful people because we have received. That's why we're Christians. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. Forgive us, O oh Lord, that complaining come so easily to us whereas thanksgiving we find harder have mercy upon us we who have received and received please transform us Lord so that even while we notice injustices situations that need to be changed that we still might be preeminently thankful as we talk with one another so we pray together and as we pray to you. Please hear us, Lord, and bless us by your Holy Spirit. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen.